Welcome, and thanks for checking out the Living Word Family Church Sermon Podcast. Before we get to the message, we'd like to invite you to check out Living Word Family Church if you don't already have a church home. For more information, you can check out our website at livingwordfamily.org. I think we've covered some pretty good ground in this series on praise and worship, but I also feel like in some ways we've just scratched the surface. And uh, all that to say is I know there is a lot to say on the subject. I know there is more to say on the subject, and it is a subject to which we will, of course, return from time to time, but I still intend to wrap this series up today. As I have mentioned uh, a few times, probably at least once per sermon in this series, there's a book by Zach Neese called How to Worship a King. I recommend it. It's a great book. It's not a perfect book, but it's a great book. And it will open your eyes to some things, particularly in regard to our role as priests before God. You remember, I think, that that was God's desire when he took Israel out of Egypt, when he brought them out of Egypt uh, to make them a nation. What his desire was, was for a nation of priests. And then after the golden calf incident, the role of the priesthood went just to the tribe of Levi. You can go back and read about that if you want. But he wanted a nation of priests to minister before him, a whole nation to minister before him and to represent him to the world. And Peter reiterates this principle known, which we call now the priesthood of believers. Uh, When he writes, you are a chosen people or a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. A holy nation. Uh, That's us. That's us that he's writing about. We also, we look pretty closely. Also, a a theme we return to every week in this series has been the proskuneo and the latriuo. The heart of worship, the holy reverence of God, and then the outworking of that, which is where we get the word liturgy, the latriuo. And that for our service to God, and when I say service, I do mean our, the works that we do for him, the things we do, acts of service, but I also mean this, the worship service, the church service, the praise and worship service. All of those are the latriuo, and for those to be legitimate, they have to be offered from a heart of proscuneo, this, uh, the, the bowing down and reverence of God. At the same time, if our proscuneo is right, it will always produce the latriuo. True worship produces true service, right? And, uh, but true service has to proceed from a heart of true worship. We talked uh, briefly, at least, about legitimate scriptural forms of worship, what type of expressions there are that are, that are biblical and right, Uh, the freedom we have to express our worship, uh, our love, our adoration for God in different ways, but also that we can be thankful that that the Bible does provide us guardrails and guidance. That there really is, it's not that the forms don't matter, it's just that there is a variety of forms. And uh, the thing we're trying to nail down here, of course, is that the 15 or 20 minutes we might spend here on a Sunday morning praising him, are really supposed to be a distillation of what is in us, uh, what we are about as a people, not just, this is not just 20 minutes 
half an hour we set aside for him. It's what we bring in, this heart of worship, a week of worship, thinking about him, submitting to him, all of our nature to God. And then we come together, and this is for him, and he is here, enthroned in our praises. And last week we spent uh, the, the sermon looking at the cross of Christ the blood of Christ, because it's so important to remember that no matter how joyful our expressions are, and they should be joyful, the title of today's message is Celebrate Together. Even though this is a joyful time, ought to be a joyful time, we can never afford to lose sight of the fact that the only reason we can even be in his presence is because of the death and the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And so we always have to have an appreciation for the price God paid just to put us in a position to sing his praises and worship his name. And what I want to wrap, this, wrap up with this morning is this focus on corporate worship and celebration. And I'm going to be drawing a lot today from a book called Celebration of Discipline by Richard Foster. I know many of you are familiar with it. Uh, I've recommended it a lot in the past. It's a good book, even a great book, but it's not a perfect book either. And actually, it's lost a bit of its luster for me over the years. I've read it a half dozen times, used it a lot uh, in studies and things. But it's lost a bit of its luster for me because there's been this relatively, it's always been there, but there seems to be in the last few years an explosion of interest in contemplative prayer and spiritual formation. And there is nothing inherently wrong with those things i just see that movement going a direction that makes me a little bit skittish it's a little too uh it's a little too self-centered there's too much time spent on exploring the inner space and things like this and to me uh i I know believe me i know there are things that need fixed in our lives and we have to pray about them and there are there there's a time and a place for contemplation but when there's whole movements and and uh, uh so whole chunks of our lives dedicated to contemplation and this sort of thing. To me, it's like, man, there's an awful lot of work for the gospel that we need to get doing. And sometimes uh, the, the contemplation just needs to be, you know what, I messed up. I'm going to stop messing up so I can get back on track and do the thing God, God's, God wants me to do. And I know it goes deeper than that sometimes. Don't get me wrong. I say all that because the fir- first time I read this book, it was the first edition of this book. And it's gone through a couple of revisions since then. So let me say this before I forget. If you decide to get a copy of this book, please get a revised version. Get, get one of the later editions of this book. There's, uh, I'll, I'll tell you a little bit what it's about. And there's a reason I'm doing this. So you'll see how this fits in. Uh, I, I'm not up here slamming anybody who's into spiritual formation and all this stuff. I just think we just need to keep things in balance. Uh, make sure if you're going to read a book like this, really any book, if you're going to read Zach Neese's book, know your Bible, okay? Uh, if it, if, when I say it's not a perfect book, no book, no matter how good it is or who the author is, if it's a human author, is going to be any source of doctrine. I believe God uses great authors to shine light on great doctrine and bring certain truths and teachings out, but ultimately our source needs to be the Bible, okay? Uh, What's interesting is that uh, Foster, the author of this book, is a Quaker. But he's very, very open and very much into the charismatic movement and charismatic worship and charismatic gifts. He divides uh, the disciplines into uh, inward disciplines, which he counts meditation, prayer, fasting, and study. 
the outward disciplines of simplicity, solitude, submission, and service, and the corporate disciplines, which are confession, worship, guidance, and celebration. Now, we know we can worship alone, right? You, and, and I encourage this. Again, we've been talking, you know, one of the threads that's woven through this series is cultivating a lifestyle of worship. Communicating with God, thanking God, worshiping him. Uh, I advocate that. But the overarching picture of worship in action and praise and celebration in scripture is of it being done in community. Let me read this passage here. I'm going to read two or three passages from this book give you an idea of what he's talking about. It says, If the Lord is to be Lord, worship must have priority in our lives. The first commandment of Jesus is, love the, Lord with all your God, uh, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. The divine priority is worship first, service second. Our lives are to be punctuated with praise, thanksgiving, and adoration. Service flows out of worship. It's what we've been saying, isn't it? Service as a substitute for worship is idolatry. Activity is the enemy of adoration. The primary function of the, Levit- of the Levitical priest was to come near to me and minister to me. Ezekiel forty four fifteen. For the Old Testament priesthood, ministry to God was to precede all other work. And that is no less true of the universal priesthood of the New Testament. One grave temptation we all face is to run around answering calls to service without ministering to the Lord himself. I think that's pretty powerful. And he points out that there are many Eastern religions particularly that emphasize isolation in worship. Uh, that's, that's their priority in worship is to just uh, be completely by yourself and, and go into the, these meditative states and trances. But the call to believers has always been to gather together, to assemble. Here's one of my favorite passages in the New Testament. It's one of many pastors' favorite passages. Uh, in Hebrews chapter 10, this will be a familiar passage. We'll start in verse 19, make sure we get a little bit of context. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus. This is talking about the access we have to God, is what we talked about last week. By a new and living way, which he consecrated for us through the veil, that is, his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. This is it. And you've got to understand... This was written in a season of Christianity when there was inherent danger in being a Christian. One of the riskiest things they could do was assemble together. And Paul's saying, don't neglect that. Don't don't stop assembling. In fact, the nearer we get to the day of the Lord, we need to be doing it more and more. This is, I I wish I had uh, looked this up and copied a piece of it. There was an article just this last week that I read, a news article on the new face of church, how church as we have known it is over. And if churches are going to survive, they need to do what so many other businesses are doing, which is to switch to an entirely electronic format. 
People are used to working from home, shopping at home, doing, uh, being entertained at home. They need to be able to worship at home. So get everything online. And listen, there's nothing wrong. I love uh, that churches live stream. We might do that someday. We're a little bit behind the curve. I just, and I, I know, it's, and that's my fault. I'm the one that's twitchy about that. I was twitchy about getting my messages online forever. I'm glad we do it. Because if you're out of town, you could still feel like you're part of the service. If you, miss, uh, if you want to listen to a message again, or if you missed it for some reason, you've got a way to access that. It's easier for our teachers just to download it than to pick up the CDs. All that stuff is good. And I like being able to watch other services online. But to replace this with that is not biblical. We are called to assemble. And even if we're all watching the same thing on computer screens, we are not fulfilling the mandate to assemble together. All right? There's, uh, you know, the, the, the Bible talks, the, one of the favorite phrases for the church to describe us in the New Testament is the body of Christ. The body of Christ. And it's just the picture there. He talks about it, well, everything working together, uh, being fit together. Uh, but also try to imagine the opposite of that. The body worshiping, but the hand is over there and the leg is over there. Uh, right? And the head or, or you know, different. Uh, the belly button is across the field or across town or something like that. It only makes, it only really works like it's supposed to work when we are actually assembled together. So anyway, Foster, it's kind of interesting. It's worth a read-through, especially these, uh, these couple chapters on worship and celebration. But he offers actually seven steps, uh, and we don't need to be dogmatic about the number of them or the order, and I'm, not even, I'm just going to share a couple of these with you in order to help you. One of them, and this is in order to, to, to worship, to come together to worship and do it right. Uh, here are some things that, that, that will make it easier. They'll help you prepare. One of them is to prepare. Don't just show up. Think about what you have to do to show up. If I've got church tomorrow, maybe I ought to go to bed a little bit earlier. Rainy's weird, man. She'll go to bed like at 9 o'clock on her own without being told. Going to bed, love you, love you more. And then she'll get up at 2 o'clock in the morning. And wander the halls moaning like a ghost and rattling chains. No, she doesn't do anything like that. She'll get up. She'll get something to eat. She'll stay up for a few hours. And then she wants to stay in bed late. And her schedule gets kind of out of whack. Doesn't happen all the time. But it happened last night. So she came in. Dad, I know you're going to say no. But I've got to ask anyway. Can I just stay home? And then I'll listen to your sermon later. I want to hear your sermon. But I'm really, really sleepy. I said, no, you're going to church. And she didn't throw a fit to her credit. Here she is. And she's awake so far. Go to bed early. Prepare your heart in the morning, okay? Uh, pray on the way to church. Just, it doesn't need to be a, you don't have to have a Holy Ghost service in the car. You can. I mean, you know, God will keep you on the road. But pray. Lord, prepare my heart. Maybe there's something on your mind. Make a conscious effort to lay that thing aside. Obey Christ when he says, cast your cares upon me. Confess, get some stuff out of the way. Read the Bible on Saturday night. Here's a radical idea. Get in the sanctuary before 9.30. Another one that caught my attention was absorb distractions with gratitude. What's this mean? It doesn't mean we should strive to be a distraction. So 
I mean, that's not something we, we aspire to. But if there, is there a toddler or a baby making some noise? That's not, usually not a problem in here. I can remember, though, you've been in services before where there is uh, crying, screaming, some distraction made by a young child. Uh, Mike Goolsby really, really opened my eyes to something on this. He said he was over, he's traveled many, many places to minister, and he was over in Ukraine, and they spent uh, a great deal of time, at least one day, visiting an orphanage, a Ukrainian orphanage. And he said, you know, they were, you walk into this ward, this big bay area where you've got hundreds of beds with babies in them, and it's silent. None of these babies are crying because there's this lack of human connection. They're basically, they're alive, but there's no, he says, the crying, that's, that's how babies develop their lungs. It's how they communicate. There's a number of things. A fussy baby is not, a crying baby is not always an unhappy baby. He said it was just the creepiest, most depressing thing to walk through a room full of babies and none of them are making a sound. He said, and I decided at that moment, I will never be mad when I hear a baby crying in church again. What, you, what do you do when you hear that? Thank God for babies. Thank God for life. Thank God for the mother and father that are here with that baby rather than staying home because they're probably tired. Right? Somebody coughing? Why didn't that person leave? Why don't they get a cough drop? Are they going to get germs on me? Thank God for your healing. Thank God and, and, and just consider maybe it's just somebody with a dry throat. And thank God that they're there. Right? Think, just be thankful for the presence of other people. Let me read this passage too. And this is kind of something we talked about early on, but I'll just read it. I like the way he puts it. Learn to offer a sacrifice of worship. Many times you will not feel like worship. Perhaps you have had so many disappointing experiences in the past that you think it is hardly worth it. There is such a low sense of the power of God. Few people are adequately prepared, but you need to go anyway. You need to offer a sacrifice of worship. You need to be with the people of God and say, These are my people. As stiff-necked and hard-hearted and sinful as we may be, together we come to God. Many times I do not feel like worshiping, and I have to kneel down and say, Lord, I don't feel like worshiping, but I desire to give you this time. It belongs to you. Isaac Pennington says, that when people are gathered for genuine worship, they are like, heap of, like a heap of fresh and burning coals, warming one another as a great strength and freshness and vigor of life flows into all. One log by itself cannot burn for very long, but when many logs are put together, even if they are poor logs, they can make quite a fire. Remember the counsel of Proverbs twenty-seven, seventeen: that iron sharpens iron, and e- <clears throat> excuse me, and even rather dull lives can help each other if they are willing to try. So go, even if you don't feel like it. Go, even if worship has been discouraging and dry before. Go, praying. Go, expecting. Go, looking for God to do a new and living work among you. I loved that fire reference. I was, we were, Beth and I were visiting some friends over in uh, Loda a few weeks ago, and they had a very nice living room with a very cute little fireplace uh, with a little rack that held about one log and it gave a very pleasant glow and if you were close to it it gave a little bit of warmth but our fireplace even though it's not huge it's big enough to make a fire and I do man I get that thing going and once my fire is going it is roaring and it radiates heat into that room Uh, but you do that you don't you don't do that by putting one big log in there that's why you split your wood and you stack it in such a way that those flames are 
weaving in and out of all those, those pieces of wood and getting all this oxygen, and all these little pieces of wood make a great and warm fire. And this is what happens with us. You might not feel like you're a great praise and worshiper, but your presence and your voice, as weak as it might be today, and your, uh, even though you don't feel like you're full of the praises of God, you add your worship to ours, and it warms this place up. And I believe it warms the heart of God. It certainly warms mine. I'll tell you what, I think you guys are responding. I know God is doing something. This isn't me, but I do believe. I just noticed last week as we were singing in here, how well I could hear your voices. And, oh, it just it gives me goosebumps. Uh, I mean, it, was a, it, was a, it blesses me to hear the praises of the church. I love hearing and seeing us all come together and do this. But it's so important to do it together. There's also, and again, we talked a little bit about this before, there's a strong connection between worship and obedience. Worship and obedience. Let me read this, just this little clip, this little uh, passage here. Just as worship begins in holy expectancy, it ends in holy obedience. If worship does not propel us into greater obedience, it has not been worship. To stand before the Holy One of Eternity is to change. That's powerful too. We have had some meetings here, and by the way, it, it, I'm not going to read this passage today, but he, ta- he talks in there, and this is, again, this is weird coming from an ultra scholar. And this is a guy who you read through the rest of this book, very conservative lifestyle and a Quaker background, but he, has been, uh, he's, he is a proponent of the Holy Ghost laughter meetings, and, uh, and again, all, every manifestation of the Holy Spirit. In fact, some of, their, some of the people who criticize Foster on grounds that I would kind of agree with, if you look into their background, the real reason they go after Foster is because he's pro-charismatic. And many of his detractors are hardcore cessationists. That's true. I've, I've, I've searched all this stuff out. It's just interesting how many biases people bring into this kind of thing. But he, he, he talks about how this has been an, a... Uh, what he feels is a legitimate manifestation of the Holy Spirit. And I can remember when we had, we've, we've had those meetings here where, uh, you know, there's, there's drunkenness, there's laughter, there are things that I wasn't always the most comfortable with, but I could see God working in our midst. But I can remember a speaker, and I won't name him, I've, I still have a great deal of respect for him, but I remember he's trying to get us stirred up and do certain things in here. And uh, the phrase I think he was using was, this is the stream, but you have to jump in it. And I think at some point he was frustrated that more people weren't exhibiting the kind of behavior that he kind of wanted to see. And uh, he said, you know, I can judge your spirituality by how much you participate in what's going on here. I said, whoa, wait a second. And I remember confronting him later. I had the opportunity to speak to him. I said, did I? I said, I'm not sure I heard you right. It sounded to me, though, like you said you could make a judgment on somebody's spirituality, which I took to mean spiritual maturity, on the basis of how much they jump, laugh, yell, bounce around. He says, yeah, no, that's what I said, and I meant it. And I said, going to have to disagree with you. I said, you see these things from the standpoint of a traveling minister. You see people for one or two nights. You see the immediate reaction. I see these people living life. And I don't want to paint with a broad brush because there's, there's no hard and fast rule. But I can tell you that some of the most conservative 
and perhaps least uh, exuberant are some of the most solid, fruit-filled Christians in our midst. And I can tell you that some of those who put on the biggest displays are some of those who I would certainly not categorize as the most mature believers in our presence. Doesn't mean that, you see what I'm saying? Doesn't mean they're faking it. It just simply means that those displays, and even as we've talked about before, you know, there's a big difference between the gifts of the Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit. Being able to flow and operate in the gifts is not a mark of spiritual maturity. But living and walking in love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control is. Okay? But it shouldn't be either or. That's all I'm saying. Right? Anyway. Uh, Isaiah chapter 6. This is a famous passage. We'll begin in verse 1. Isaiah 6, 1. In the year that King Uzziah, Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim. Each one had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. This is it. He's got a vision of heaven. He saw the Lord. Yeah, I kind of wonder what it looks like, and he describes this. He gives a little picture. What are you going to do when you see this? Here was his reaction. So I said, woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. His immediate reaction, his first reaction to this open vision of heaven was an intense awareness of his sin. Now, I understand, we're New Testament believers. It doesn't need to be exactly like that, but it does make me think of when, and this is you know, still in, under the law, when uh, you know, Jesus asked to use Peter's boat. He went out, hey, row out a little way from the land. He preaches from the boat, and then he tells, go out there and cast your nets in for a great catch of fish. And, oh, Lord, we've fished all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, because you say it, we'll do it. They throw out, and their nets, both of them, are, are filled to bursting more than the boats could hold. And when this happened, when this miracle happened, do you remember what Peter said? Lord, depart from me. I'm a sinful man. Face to face with deity, with supernatural, the supernatural presence of Christ, what was his response? An immediate awareness of sin. Now you fast forward a little while to the transfiguration, and the same guy, Peter, when he sees Jesus with Moses and Elijah, and he sees Jesus in power and glory, this time he says, hey, let's build tents and camp out here. Let's just stay here a while. This is awesome. So I think our, our reaction and our, our experience in the presence of God ought to be a mixture of those things. All right? We ought to be aware of, this, of any sin, anything that's going to stop up the, the flow of relationship and expression so that we can deal with it. But we also ought to look forward to it and enjoy the presence of God. And by the way, just a few verses down in Isaiah, when he says, I hear the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? He said, here am I, send me. So first was an awareness of his sin. The second is a call to obedience, right? True worship will produce obedience. Anyway, this obedience will produce joy. If we're living right, if we're responding to the presence of God right, the, the outcome of that is going to be joy, and the joy, that joy will facilitate the kind of celebration we're talking about. In Luke chapter 11, this is kind of interesting. In Luke chapter 11, there's this brief conversation. 
And it happened in verse 27, 11, 27. It happened as he spoke these things that a certain woman from the crowd raised her voice and said to him, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breasts which nursed you. But he said, more than that, blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. More blessed to be a hearer, an obedient hearer, than it is to be the mother of the Messiah. That might be a harder pill to swallow if you have a Catholic background. But for this to be the kind of worship service that God is worthy of, it really needs to be a gathering, an assembly of people who know God, who love God, who obey God, and who look forward to doing this together. Now, we've all been there where, even if we know that's how it should be, We come in here on any given Sunday or any given Wednesday, and we need the praise and worship service as kind of a jump start or a pick-me-up, right? And that's fine. I praise God I have been there many times, and thank God it works. You know, I can come in kind of dragging, and after just three or four songs, I'm I'm better, I've got my my head where it needs to be, my focus where it needs to be, my spirit's been touched. It's just much better if I come in ready to just make this all about God. God is so merciful and so good that he reaches out to me when it's all supposed to be about him. But if you're there, you come in here in need of that, here's the risk. If you come in here needing that pick-me-up and it doesn't quite go the way you want it to go, oh, of all nights to sing this song. You know, when I really needed the praise and worship to do something for me. And then suddenly church seems like a waste of time. But you will never feel like that if your heart is truly prepared. We have to remember that what we are doing with our praise and worship and really the whole service is we are celebrating something real and It is all about him, and he is here. I'm back where we started. You know, celebration, obviously, is not a purely Christian concept. We celebrate other people, don't we? We celebrate birthdays for our children, and that day and that event is about them. And we plan it, don't we? We have certain things that we want to happen because we want to make sure that this, the person we're celebrating is pleased and that they know how much we love them, how much we appreciate them. Uh, and I throw that in there just to kind of combat the notion that, uh, and it's a little bit pervasive in, in certainly in charismatic churches, that if something isn't spontaneous, then it's not spiritual. Know what I mean? Well, if it's a word from God, you won't know it until you open your mouth. Uh, If it's going to be a real Holy Ghost praise and worship service, then we don't even know what's going to happen until it happens. And I'm saying, you know what? You can plan these things. It's a celebration. It's a celebration, and we can plan things. Now, we might not plan every single aspect of it, but to have an order of service is not anti-spiritual. We are planning a celebration for God. Our plan, and we don't do it perfectly every week, we probably don't do it perfectly any week, but our hearts should be to come in here and celebrate God. 
by actively singing his praises, by actively worshiping him, and then by hungrily receiving his word. Nourishing, and we share, you know, you go to a birthday celebration, it's not your birthday, but you still get some of the cake, right? You still get some of the benefits of the party. Same here. This service is about God, but we get the benefits from it, and we honor him by listening attentively to his word and by taking that word and what? Obeying it. And then what happens? Jesus says, you're blessed. It yields happiness. It yields joy. And what do we do with that joy? We come in here, we return that to him in the form of praise and worship, and the cycle continues. So what I would like us to do is simply take some time to think about the things that we sing about. Even if you don't know what song we're going to sing, think about the one you're going to sing about on the way to church. Start thinking about it the night before. This is a great time of year to shift our minds that direction because when you talk about celebrating something specific, the core of the Christian message is the resurrection. And that's around the corner. We're coming right up on that. There's nothing greater to celebrate. And, and our celebration goes better when we are meditating on it, preparing our hearts for it before we assemble and actually do it together. Let me share one more passage from Foster. It says, A popular teaching today instructs us to praise God for the various difficulties that come into our lives, asserting that there is great transforming power in thus praising God. In its best form, such teaching is a way of encouraging us to look up the road a bit through the eye of faith and see what will be. It affirms in our hearts the joyful assurance that God takes all things and works them for the good of those who love him. In its worst form, this teaching denies the vileness of evil, and baptizes the most horrible tragedies as the will of God. Scripture commands us to live in a spirit of thanksgiving. In the midst of all situations, it does not command us to celebrate the presence of evil. I thought that was extremely well put. You know, you can thank God in all things without thanking God for all things. Right? But our heart should still be one of thanksgiving. Let's, let's close out scripturally looking at... Uh, one of the most famous passages on that theme, which is in Philippians chapter 4. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Help you navigate there. Philippians 4, beginning in verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. The things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the peace, and sorry, the God of peace will be with you. There's a lot of good doctrine just in those few verses. There's the command to rejoice. Again, kind of goes back to our command to love one another, our command to praise him. There are things that we're commanded to do that are separate from whether or not we feel like do them. 
feel like doing them. I command you to rejoice if you're happy. I command you to praise me if you're full of praise for me at any given moment. I command you to walk in love toward your brother if they've made you happy or they make you feel good. None of those qualifiers are in there. Our lives are, st- are supposed to be stabilized by the clear commands to do these things regardless of how we feel. The joyful news is, as we obey him in these things, the feelings will, will come. They absolutely will. There's nothing wrong. Emotions are something that God gave us. And we can enjoy these moments, but it, should, it starts with obedience, regardless of, of what we feel like. But Paul says rejoice. There's that command to do that. How can I rejoice with all these anxieties? Uh, be anxious for nothing. If you've got anxieties, how do you deal with that? Supplication and prayer, right? With thanksgiving. When you have problems, I'm not, I get there are disorders that produce anxiety with no apparent reason. You can still be healed from that. But he's talking here about cares. And you deal with those, he says, by, by giving those to God. You go to him in prayer, but with thanksgiving. Whenever you're praying, no matter how deep the need is, you have to remember this is God, and he is good, and he has done good for you. It's a great place. God, I remember how good you have been. I see how good you've been through history, and I identify these times when I know you've been good in my life. I have this need. I have, it's making me anxious. I don't want to be anxious. I want to rejoice in you. So I'm giving this to you, Lord. Here is my problem. I'm trusting you to fix it. We do that, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard our hearts and minds. And then it says to meditate on these things, whatsoever things are true, noble, just, pure, lovely, of good report, of virtue, anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things, and the God of peace will be with you. This is how we prepare our hearts for worship. We don't. We come in here... And I'm not, I'm not casting stones. I have done it too. We, uh, we stay out too late on a Saturday or we stay up too late. And maybe what we're filling our minds with and filling our hearts with is something that is not godly or not uh, praiseworthy, noble, anything like that. And we go to sleep. We get up. We're a little bit groggy. And then uh, maybe on the way to church, instead of praying, we're talking about, what we watched on TV, or we talk about a fight we had with somebody, and, oh, I can't believe we're only one more day, uh, one day away from Monday. Then I've got to go back to my stupid job, and blah, 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 blah. And we're not doing anything to prepare ourselves to be one of those burning coals that so warmed this place in the heart of God. We're coming in here carrying all this junk, and we walk in here at the last minute, so there's no time to fellowship. You know, this is just the fact that we're all in the room together is not necessarily unity. Never fails to, doesn't amaze me, just makes me shake my head. There have been people through the years who I don't even see them until service has started, come in here at the very last minute. They're right out the door, so there's no time fellowshipping before or after service. Don't ever get involved in a small group. Don't ever go to any of the activities, none of the fellowship events. And we try to do a variety of these things. 
All these things that we do to try, and they don't serve anywhere, which is the other great point of connection. And then the day comes where they say, you know what? No offense, but we just don't feel connected here. This fellowship and loving one another. See, and this shows you just how deep the preparation needs to go. It's not just Saturday night and Sunday morning. It is being involved conversationally. I know not every single person can be connected personally, tightly, friendship-wise with every other single person. But we can all know some of us in our midst. And we can help communicate with one another. We can, maybe you know something about a friend of yours in the church. Maybe, maybe the church needs to know about this. Maybe you need to let us know. Don't, don't trust that I know everything that's going on. But we prepare our hearts by focusing when we, and remembering how much God loves every single... Look around here. Look around. Just take a quick look around this room. You know some people better than you know others. But you need to know, no matter how hard you've worked, how much you love God, God loves every single person in this room as much as he loves you. Jesus died for every single person in this room as much as he died for you. Every life in here is valuable and precious to him, part of his body. And so when I come to church, if I'm doing it right, I have thought not just about what can I do to put a smile on God's face, what can I do for his body today? What, when I come in singing, raising my hands, I recognize that I'm doing something to encourage you to sing and raise your hands and smile. It's not, it's about God, it's about his body, and it's about you in that order. Stand up with me. One of the other beautiful observations, and again, I don't know why you just get a big kick out of a a Quaker making this observation, is that, uh, I hope I wrote this reference down, because I just kind of threw it in at the last minute. Let me find it here real quick. Christ is alive and present in all his power. He's talking about the worship service. He saves us not only from the consequences of sin, but from the domination of sin. Whatever he teaches us, he will give us the power to obey. If Jesus is our leader, miracles should be expected to occur in worship. Healings, both inward and outward, will be the rule, not the exception. The book of Acts will not just be something we read about, but something we are experiencing. Pretty good goal, isn't it? You think that's within our grasp? If it's a matter of obedience and entering into praise and worship, do you want to be the one that's holding this congregation back from seeing miracles? You know, back in the day, they were all in one accord. They were all in agreement. Participate. When it's time to sing, you sing. Use your body to express yourself to God. It's an awesome privilege, and God desires. Again, it's this beautiful, there's nothing, there's no tension about it at all. God's just a loving God. We come in here full of the notion and the principle that this is all about him. And he says, yeah, but I love you. And when I'm here and we meet, you are going to benefit from this. 
And the more you focus on me, the more you're going to receive from me. That's just the way he works. I'm going to give it all to God. And what do I experience in the middle of that? Peace, restoration, healing. It's awesome. It needs to be awesome. It is the great privilege of the believer to commune with God. We come before him and we are struck with that holy reverence that produces obedience, that produces a desire to be closer with him, and then produces celebration, which is most, most perfectly expressed corporately by the body. Only people who are not privileged to do this are the unbelievers. God's plan was for all of his people, the Jews, to do this in the Old Testament. And the Levites end up getting that privilege and the rest of the nation of Israel had to do it through the Levites. But if anybody else among the nations saw what Israel was doing and wanted that, they had to go through Israel to do it. They had to convert. They had to lay down their idols and worship Jehovah only. Today, we the believers, we are that chosen people, that chosen generation, this royal priesthood, a holy nation. And it's our job to shine that light and represent him to the world. But if you are not yet a believer, if you are not part of that family, then you're still on the outside. You might be in this room, But if you've never given your heart to Christ, if you've never looked to the cross and said, I needed that death, that blood that Jesus shed, that's what I need to make me clean. He died for the sin of the world, but he died for the sin of every individual in the world. And every individual needs to come to him, bow before him as Lord, and personally receive that gift of salvation. If you haven't done that, please do that today. This is where we start. And then you enter into this glorious, faith-filled, worship-filled life that is all about Him and the best thing for you. Thanks for listening. We hope that this message encouraged and equipped you in your walk with Christ. Make sure to follow us on Facebook or Instagram to stay updated with what's going on at Living Word Family Church. Have a great day.